Some of you in your chairs this morning or in your umbrella probably have plastic as a part of, um, of your chair or your umbrella. And plastic is a marvelous invention. Stop and think about it for a moment. I mean, plastic has changed our lives in many ways. I know there's some downsides, but good grief. All sorts of things are made out of plastic these days. You have plastic chairs, plastic Tupperware. What did people do before plastic Tupperware came along? In your car, there are probably pieces that are made out of plastic. I don't know much about the making of cars, but I would assume that that is the case. Plastic bottles. You have water in your plastic bottle this morning. In my office, I have on my shelf behind me two little figurines that are made out of plastic. One is Dumbledore and one is Harry Potter. And they sit back there and look over my shoulder all day. Delightful. Now, what is it about plastic that is so wonderful? Well, it's, it's easily moldable, right? I mean, you can shape it, you can form it, and it's fairly simple to do that. You can even search online and find uh, tutorials of how to shape and mold plastic at home. Now, if those figurines that I have in my office were made out of steel, that would be a different story. You could mold them, you could make a, a figurine out of steel, but it would be much more difficult, much more challenging. Steel tends to hold its shape quite well, right? Unless you heat it to extreme temperatures. But plastic can be shaped and molded and it can fit very quickly into a mold and without as much difficulty. Now, why am I talking about this this morning? There's increasing research that's being done. It's not biblical research per se, but I find it very interesting that suggests that our brains are more plastic than they are steel. That our brains shift and change over time. And it suggests that what you do and how you feel on a regular basis and how you respond to life events reshapes your brain. And that happens quicker than you and I realize. There's a word for this. It's called neuroplasticity, right? Your brain is sort of like plastic. Now, I think it's kind of important to think about that because in our day, one of the most dramatic changes that happens to our brains that is wrought upon our brains many times without us even realizing it is in the area of information. What we give our attention to and our reception of information, that is constantly changing our brains. So here's what happens today. We're used to seeing bits of information come onto our phones or our computer screens quickly, and then they go away. We scroll through our newsfeed. We see headlines on the news websites. And most of the time, we don't even read the whole article or we scroll past that bit of information and it sort of goes in and then it's very quickly out. And when we see that, it's doubtful that we'll engage with that information. And it's even more doubtful that we'll sit and we'll maybe write down some responses to that information. Or it's most doubtful that we'll act on what we read. Information to us has become something that we just sort of see and then we forget. 
It doesn't really get into our brains. It doesn't get into our hearts. And it definitely doesn't change the way we act and the way we live. The most actionable response that most of us have to information is to click like and then click share. (laughs) And that's how we act on information these days. Now, why does that matter? I'm not a neurologist, I'm not a scientist, but why does that matter? Why is it important for Christians to think about the way that our processing of information is changing us and shaping us? Because our brains are becoming shallower and thinner through the use of our phones and the internet and other things. And here's why that matters, because whether you realize it or not, that will impact the way in which you encounter the word of God. It will change the way you read your Bible and the way you listen to sermons and the way you handle the scriptures and respond to the scriptures. Our brains are being trained to skim the surface of information and we're not going to grow in wisdom unless we encounter the word of God at a deep level and then unless we act on what we hear and we respond to what we hear. Unfortunately, for many of us, our spiritual lives have become stagnant. There's not a lot coming in and there's not a lot going out in action. And so our spiritual lives are like a stagnant pond, no inflow, no outflow. And it just sort of sits there and gets gross over time. Now, thankfully, James is here to help us with this, this morning and next week. Part of being a wise person, part of growing in maturity and completeness is encountering the word of God and handling the word of God and responding to the word of God in the right and appropriate ways. And so this morning, I want James to teach us how we should encounter the word of God and how we should respond and engage with the word of God. And he wants us to engage with the word at a deep level that will lead to action in our lives. This is where we're going to be this week and next week in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. If you have your bulletin, you can see it there, encountering the word. And here's what we're going to see in this section, all right? So here's kind of our our topic sentence, right? Two attitudes that are required to approach God's word with wisdom. Two attitudes that are required to approach God's word with wisdom. And the first one of these is where we'll be this week. The second one is next week. The first one is in verses 19 to 21 in James chapter 1. And we're going to call this attitude ready to receive. It's a posture. You are ready to receive the word. When I was much younger in elementary school, for a little while, I played Little League Baseball. And when I played Little League Baseball, there were a couple of years where I got to play catcher on my team. And I loved it. Loved it. I thought it was so fun to put all that equipment on and get behind the plate and be intimately involved in every aspect of the game but when you think about a catcher if you're into baseball or even if you're if you're not and you've ever seen a baseball game when you think about a catcher's position when the pitcher winds up to throw the ball what's the catcher doing I mean he is 
He's giving his full attention to the pitcher. He is watching every movement that the pitcher makes. He is crouched behind the plate with his glove extended, and he is ready to receive the ball that is going to be thrown his way. The catcher is not worried about the concession stand. He's not thinking about hot dogs. He's not thinking about the news headlines from the day. He's not thinking about what his teammates are doing in the dugout at that moment. His full and undivided attention is given to the pitcher preparing to deliver that ball at a high rate of speed to him. That is the posture that James wants us to take when it comes to receiving the word of God. So if you remember from last time, we finished up in verse 18 and we were talking about the word of God, right? Look back in verse 18. Speaking of God saving us of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The instrument of our salvation is the gospel, the word of God. And he does this in order to create a community of believers. The end of verse 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the word of God creates new life in us when we receive it initially, and it puts us into the community of believers. And that community of believers, this community of believers, testifies to God's character and to his goodness. I mean, that's what it says at the end of verse 18. So now you can see in verse 19, after speaking about the word creating a new community, now you can see that James sort of transitions into a new section. I've told you that the book of James is divided up by these direct addresses. Look at verse 19. He says, my beloved brothers, know this, my beloved brothers. And if you go through James and you see where he speaks directly to them, calling them his brothers or my beloved brothers, he's starting a new section. But this new section in verse 19 is not disconnected from verse 18. He's continuing to talk about the word of God. And in fact, he's going to really highlight that word of truth all the way down through verse 27. All right. So look at verse 21 and 22. He talks specifically about the word. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And so this whole section really is focused on our response to that word of truth that creates new life in us. Now what's interesting here is I read from verses 21 and 22, but if you look at verses 19 and 20, you're probably pretty familiar with these verses if you've been in church for any length of time. And we don't normally think about these commands here describing our response to the word of God. I mean, look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so we, we tend to think of these verses as just sort of good commands for everyone to practice all the time. This is just a good approach to life and a good way of dealing with other people. And I think that's true in some ways, but here's what I think is happening in these verses and how they fit in this passage, all right? So they come from verse 18, where you have the word of truth creating the new community. 
the church. And when this new community is created and it comes into being, when we are gathered together as a community, I think verse 19, verses 19 and 20 are telling us the posture, the type of people that we should be with one another, right? This is how you should be postured toward those who are around you. But this also describes your demeanor and your approach to the word of God. I mean, if you're this type of person that's described in verse 19, who is swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, then you will have the correct and the right posture to the Bible. It covers all of your life when you're this type of person, when this is your character. And so what James is saying is you and I must be the type of people who put away filthiness, we put away sin, and we receive the word of God with meekness. We should be the type of people, by the grace of God, who are humble. We listen to other believers, and then that posture carries over into the way we handle the Word of God and the way we respond to the Word of God. Notice the sequence here, right? The Word of God creates new life, brings us to Christ. God, by His sovereign will, gives us new life, brings us to salvation by the word of God, and then we respond to that word and to one another in verses 19 through 27. So we're born again, we're saved, we're redeemed, we're made new, and then those who are made new put on these qualities. This is how we act to one another and to the Bible. And so I think what James is saying in verse 19 is, be this way to one another, but also be this way toward the word of God. This is for all of life. So let's look more carefully at what he says in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person, and there are three commands here, three descriptions of our posture. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Be quick to hear, right? Let me state the obvious here. To be quick is the opposite of being slow, okay? I mean, this is pretty obvious. But what James is saying is our first reaction, our initial reaction to other people and to the word of God is to be one of listening. This should come naturally to us. And most of the time we think we are listening when we're just not talking. <laughs> most of the time we think we're listening if our mouths aren't moving. But much of the time what I'm doing when I'm not talking is I'm just waiting for the other person's mouth to stop so that then I can go, right? Maybe some of you fall into that as well. Eagerly anticipating the pause that I can get in on and start to talk about myself. But that's not what James means by listening. To, to hear here in this passage means to listen attentively. It's like that catcher, eager to receive the pitch, to catch the pitch. James is telling us to pay careful attention to one another and to the word of God. I mean, surely a person who listens well can be described as wise. Listen to this from Proverbs 19 and verse 20. 
listen to advice and ex accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. This is a sign of wisdom. But we're not only to be quick to hear, to listen attentively, but we're also to be slow to speak and slow to anger. I don't know if you often think about this, and I know I don't, but speaking is one of the greatest privileges that we have as human beings. I mean, we imitate God when we speak, right? He created the world by speaking it into existence. And you and I, in a very tiny way, imitate him. We are like him when we speak. It is one of the greatest privileges that we have to articulate words directed at another person. But speaking is also one of the greatest dangers to us as human beings. It is both at the same time. It's a high privilege and a terrible danger for us. Listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 10. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Listen to this from Proverbs 18 verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your speech has the ability to lift people up, to bring them to life. Your speech even has the ability to give someone the gospel and to see them born again into Christ. But your speech, your writing, your posting has the ability to destroy someone, to bring death to them as well. Listen to James 3 and verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I think of speech like nuclear power. And I don't think it's an exaggeration. A nuclear power plant is clean, it is efficient, and it gives electricity to millions of people. But heaven help us if nuclear power falls into the wrong hands. It's wonderful and it's so dangerous. And that's why James is saying here that you and I ought to be cautious with our words. Think carefully before you open your mouth. Far too often, we are quick to speak. We shoot from the hip with little thought to consequences. Oh, I just tell it like it is. James and Proverbs would say you should be careful if you just tell it like it is on a regular basis. There is a time for clear truth to be spoken, but most often for us, that is not what we're doing. We are destroying with our words. Most often, those quick words that we speak are mixed with anger or frustration. And I think that's why James says what he says in verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What he's saying here is that our human anger, our self-centered anger, does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. 
Now, let me be clear here. James is not saying that it's wrong, that it's always wrong to be angry in every instance. I mean, I think what he's doing here is he's giving us a proverb, something like you would see in the book of Proverbs. It's a general, broad statement that there are then exceptions to, but they are exceptions, (laughs) few and far between. So the book of Proverbs will often state things in a very comprehensive way, and then somewhere else in the book of Proverbs, you'll find an exception to that statement. That's what he's doing here. There is a righteous anger that is driven by a high regard for God's justice and God's glory, but you have to be very careful with that. The overwhelming witness of Scripture is that we as sinful human beings have trouble controlling our anger. And our anger does not often produce the righteousness of God, behavior that is honoring and glorifying to our Savior. We all tend to justify our anger as righteous anger. But often, the majority of the time, it is not. And so, these three admonitions in verse 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, these three admonitions apply to our character the deepest part of who we are. So they're addressing how we relate to one another, but there's good reason to think that these are addressing our posture before the word of God. Why do I say that? Because of verse 21. You can see at the beginning of verse 21, he says, therefore. So he's building off of the picture, the character of a a Christian that he's just described. And now he's saying there are implications of this for how you receive and how you come to the word of God. Look at verse 21. I'll read it. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So the posture of verse 19 is so important for us as we approach the word of God. Be quick to hear, to listen attentively. Be slow to speak. James is saying there is a, listen, there is a moral component to how you listen. There's a moral component to what you give your attention to. Now what's interesting here in verse 21 is that we often think of hearing the word of God and the putting away of evil as happening in the opposite direction of what James describes here, right? We normally think, and this is true in most, in a lot of cases, we normally think I come to church or I read my Bible at home, I hear the word of God, I'm convicted of sin, and then I start to fight against that sin and I put that sin away. So I hear the word, then I start to put sin away. But James actually says there's a There's a place and there's a responsibility on our part to attack sin and to prepare your heart to listen to the word of God before you come to the word. Put away filthiness and the abundance of wickedness so that you are ready to receive the word. You can't harbor sin. You can't cultivate vice in your heart and expect to be ready to hear the word of God. It doesn't work that way. James in verse 21 describes sin as, as filthy, an abundance of wickedness. 
sin, I don't know if you often think of it as filthy. It is detestable. It's gross. It doesn't look good on any of us. And it comes in more forms than we realize, right? There's an overflow. There's an abundance of it in us, in our hearts. James is not saying here that we have to be perfect in order to come to church and to receive the word of God. That's not at all what he's saying. That's impossible for any of us anyway. That's not what he's describing. But what he's saying is we have to be careful in listening to the word. We have to try to address our hearts and the wickedness that we know is there and prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. We put away sin as it becomes known to us and we act positively by receiving the word. Look how he describes the word here in verse 21. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. That's an interesting way to describe the Bible. It's already, if you're a believer in Christ, if verse 18 is true of you, if you have been by God's will brought to new life in Christ, then the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit is resident in your heart. It has been planted into you. The scriptures are already there working in your heart, changing your motivation, altering your thinking. This is the promise of the new covenant. We don't often think about it in these terms, but this is what is different about the new covenant that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel did not have this in the Old Testament. This changing of the heart the Holy Spirit taking up residence. Let me read to you from Jeremiah 31 and the promise that God makes of the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And how can the law be written on their hearts and be inside of them and implanted in them? This last phrase is the key. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The spirit dwells in you. You have the word implanted in you if you're a believer this morning because your sins have been fully and finally forgiven by the work of Jesus Christ. The problem with Israel in the Old Testament was not God in them keeping the covenant. The problem was them. They didn't have a heart to obey. They couldn't do it. They didn't have the motivation or the power to do it. The wonderful benefit of the new covenant is that because our sins are forgiven and because we can confidently and daily look to our justification and look to our forgiveness and rest in that forgiveness, now the word of God has been implanted into us. So what does this mean for our posture when we receive the word? 
Look at verse 21 again in, in James. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. This is the key, I think, in this whole passage for you and I. Receive the word with this disposition, with meekness. I mean, this is basically describing the three commands in verse 19. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That type of a person is a meek person. Meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. This is something the Spirit works in you if you're a believer. In Galatians 5, it's called gentleness. It's similar to the idea of humility. Christians are meek people. What does it mean to be meek, though? I mean, that sounds kind of, kind of weak, unable to defend ourselves. To be meek means that I don't have a high, too high of an opinion of myself. I don't think too much of myself. I don't think too much of my knowledge, of my ability, of my discernment, of my self-importance. I don't think too highly of myself. I don't take myself too seriously in all of my relationships and particularly when I approach the word of God. To be meek when you approach the word of God means that I don't take my own wisdom, my own knowledge too seriously. I know my limitations. I recognize the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness that my heart is tempted with. I know that I am slow to listen and I am quick to speak and shoot from the hip. I know my limitations. Some people are experts on everything. That's not meekness. To be meek is to know that I am in need of wisdom and instruction, to understand my limitations, and to know that I need the word of God. I need the word of truth. I need the implanted word to do its work in my heart. I desperately need it. To be meek is to let God's word have its way in my heart. To submit to the word of God. It is to be quick to listen. To have my first reaction. To read the word of God. To listen to the word preached. And to not buck against it. And not say, yeah, but. It's to say, I need that. I need to change in this area. I need to listen. I need to slow down. I need to not speak. I need to not be angry. I need to listen to the word. To be meek as you approach the word of God is to open up my heart and to be receptive to what God has to say and be receptive to what God may do in my heart to change me. So I told you earlier that I think the postures given in verse 19, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, those are great good general dispositions for us as we interact with one another. They're also good for us as we approach the word of God. But I don't want you to think that you can somehow separate those two. That you can sort of be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger in your relationships with others 
and then approach the word of God in a different way or vice versa. I don't want you to think that you can be humble and meek as you approach the word of God, but then the way that you respond to other people and treat other people is totally different and is the opposite of what he describes here. There's a connection. And I think that's why James explains this the way he does here. Be instructed by this connection. There's there's a similar posture that we have with one another that will dictate how we approach and encounter the word of God. You can't separate those two. And so when you find a person who is gentle and meek, in his or her interactions with other people, you will most likely find a person who humbly listens to the word of God and submits to the word. But on the opposite end, when you find a person who is argumentative and slow to listen and quick to anger, always ready to give you their opinion, then you will most likely, whether they realize it or not, find a person who will not receive the word of God with humility. This has been smiting my heart this week, personally. It is hard. James is, James is wonderful and brutal. It is hard to stare at this text for hours on end this week and not think that I am so often quick to speak and slow to listen with others and easily frustrated and that anger comes out quickly in my heart. And then when I see that, I think I must not submit to the word in a meek and humble way as I should. James is making the connection between those two here. The glorious thing about becoming that type of person is there's motivation to do it, given right here in verse 21. We must train ourselves to listen to the word of God, to come to the word in a meek and humble way because of what he says at the end of verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, you have to understand what he's saying here. Salvation is talked about in a variety of ways in the New Testament. We most often think of salvation as something that has happened in the past to us. A moment of conversion, being born again. And that is definitely one of the ways the New Testament talks about our salvation. Justification, the moment when everything changes in your life. When God now sees you as he sees his son, united to Christ. But that's not what James, that's not the way James is describing our salvation here. There are other ways that this word salvation is used in the New Testament. What James is doing here is describing our final deliverance. When we come into the presence of God and he's thinking about the process that we are all in the midst of, if you're a believer right now, called sanctification. Growing toward Christ-likeness. Changing you to be more like Jesus, to be mature, to grow in wisdom, 
the salvation of your souls. You're not left how you were. And that's one of the beautiful things about the gospel in the New Testament is you were declared righteous at the moment that you're born again, but then the Lord doesn't leave you there to wallow in your old habits and your old lifestyle. He progressively and gloriously changes you and sanctifies you. And he makes you more like his son. And so the point here is, is that we must approach the word with meekness, with humility, with a desire to listen to the word, because the word is what will ultimately bring change in you. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot change your character in any meaning and fundamental and lasting way by just trying really, really hard. It's not going to work. One author called this, what James says here, to, the, the word is able to save your souls. He called it this, the ongoing and continuous work of restoring and rescuing the inner life of believers. I want to be rescued from my nasty habits and my nasty motivations and my filthy dispositions and my propensity to frustration and anger. I want the Lord to do that work in my heart. I want to look back a year from now and go, I think I've grown a little bit, a tiny bit. I'm softer. I'm easier to get along with. I don't get as frustrated with things or when things don't, don't go my way. And you and I can't do this on our own. We need God's word and we need his Holy Spirit, the word implanted in us, to change us. We need it more than anything. And so, with how important this is, I just want to give you a few practical suggestions this morning. How do you take this seriously? I mean, it's, it's kind of easy to talk about this, but what are some things that we can do to develop the posture of being ready to receive the word of God. So I'm going to make some very limited suggestions this morning relating to the preaching of the word. That's not to ignore your Bible reading at home, your study of the word of God at home. That is a key part of your growth in sanctification. These would certainly, I think, apply there in some way. But the preaching of the word of God is in the New Testament, so important in the life of the local church. I mean, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he came and he preached the kingdom of God. Paul exhorts Timothy and Titus, preach the word. This is everywhere. And so, yes, read the Bible at home, but the preaching of the word of God is one of the main ways that we as a church body receive with meekness the implanted word. And so when I stand up to preach on Sunday, this, we both play a role in this. Thankfully, it's not all dependent on me to get the word across. You have an equal, if not greater, responsibility with what is happening here this morning. A little bit of pressure there, but good pressure. Good pressure because the word is able to save your soul, to change you. So here's what I would say, just a few suggestions to get ready to hear the word with meekness when it is preached. Read 
the passage that you know we will be studying sometime in the week before. Engage with it. Read it. Maybe study it a little bit. Be familiar with it. Because when then, when I stand up and try to explain it, you will already know the flow of the passage. And you'll be prepared to receive the word. This one is a selfish one. Pray for the preacher or your pastor. Whoever's up here preaching the word, pray in the middle of the week. Pray that I will prepare and be faithful to the text. Pray for your own heart, that you will listen well and that your heart will be prepared to listen. I mean, I think that's part of what James is getting at in verse 21. Put away all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Man, get ready to come to the banquet of God's word and receive it. Pray that God will give you, when you show up on Sunday morning, attention and understanding. And pray that he will help you to purposefully and intentionally apply the word to your heart and to your life. And then lastly, I would say just actively listen. Take notes. And then because we're a community of believers, discuss with someone else afterward. This is why we have small groups But this goes well beyond small groups. Discuss with family, discuss with friends. And show your own heart that you're interested in being changed by the word. Our spiritual lives depend on this. This is is the, the baseline for us as believers to receive the word in meekness. So lay aside your self confidence and come as a beggar to the word of God. Be quick to hear and meek and humble in your posture before God's word. Let's pray. Father, we need your word. We need to be instructed by your word. We need to be changed. We thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the spirit working in us, the implanted word that is there working from the inside out to change our motivations, our desires, our loves, our affections. You are at work in us, even now, Lord. And so we thank you for those realities. And I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word. Help us not to approach the Bible casually. This is life. This is eternity. We are dealing with incredibly significant and serious matters when we come to your word. And so I pray that you would give us the humility to approach it, to listen, and to obey, as we'll see next week. And we thank you that even though we were dead in our sins, completely unable to respond to you, Lord, that you have made us new and given us life and implanted the word in us by your grace. And you are working to sanctify us even now. And all of that is something we are completely undeserving of. And so we praise you for it. It's in Christ's name we pray.